You don't have to think a lot about the future if you have the future already in other places. Hello and welcome to The Lodgecast, a nature and wildlife podcast brought to you by the Beaver Trust. I'm Sophie Pavel. And I'm Eva Bishop. Each episode, we bring you the latest news from the Beaver Trust as we welcome beavers back to restore our rivers and create resilient landscapes. And we also explore the state of nature in the UK and how beavers can help the climate and biodiversity crises while speaking to fascinating experts and inspiring individuals along the way. In this series, we're looking at what it really means to live with beavers and exploring the situations and solutions when beaver management is necessary. Today, we're speaking to a true pioneer in the world of beaver restoration. Gerhard Schwab has designed a beaver management system in Bavaria and trained beaver consultants all across Europe. Here we go, Sophie. We are approaching the end of Series 5 already. We were hoping to explore in this series what mitigation and management techniques exist and how and where they're widely used across the Northern Hemisphere, what we can learn from colleagues around the world. And I've certainly uh, got a better understanding of the complexity of beaver management and the different approaches, and it's been a fascinating few days. Yeah, it really has. I mean, we've really gone all around the world from America to the Czech Republic, been places I've never been before. <laughs> but I mean, so so many themes have appeared and so many similar ones as well. I mean, should we just run through a little bit about the kind of things that Yeah, cropped? what stands out to you? I think people. People came up a lot more than I expected. I didn't expect to be doing a podcast series that focuses on beaver management and mitigation and be talking about people quite so much. And also emotional stuff, mm. like the importance of empathy and and um, of humility and learning from these animals. Yes, yes. The tolerance needed, the passion involved in all mm. the people we've spoken to who are actually doing the beaver management. They're there because they want to see this species restoration succeed. And that really comes across. Yeah. Yes, there are tools on that hierarchy and mitigation techniques, and they seem pretty common across the Northern Hemisphere. Mm. But... Um, their passion is how they apply those individually. And as you've said, mm. the clear thing is that it's about empathy and people skills. Mm, mm. And I think also it's interesting because we didn't ask, you know, like Mike and Yitka the same questions by any means, but they often made the same points in terms of the need to collaborate with the local community um, and the balance of pragmatic solutions, but also spending time understanding people's individual situations and the individual river context. And yeah, as you said, just they seem to absolutely love what they're doing mm. and be driven by this motivation of a better world because beavers are in yeah. it. Yeah. And despite in England having only a few beavers and a lot of them in enclosures, and in Scotland having a couple of years of that wild release licensing framework in place and learning of mitigation on the ground. Mm. The other thing that I have taken from this and learned from this, and it's giving me a lot of confidence actually in the future for beavers here, is that despite being in the very early stages, the honeymoon phase of restoration of the species in Britain, mm. we spoke to a lot of people who have much greater uh, human and beaver population densities near each other, and it's yeah. working. You know, you do yeah. need funding behind it. You do need a management framework in place, but it works. And that gives me a lot mm. of confidence because 
being in this phase here, it's really actually quite hard to see how we can expand mm. and allow that without giving nature a lot more space. And that's something we want to do, but they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're living, breathing it at the moment and it's working. It just, it made it seem more normal. It seems like they've just sort of gone it down to the point where it's it's just a normal part of managing the landscape. And I think for us, it's, we're still in this, as you say, honeymoon phase. Everything seems a bit existential, a bit hypothetical. So to chat to people who are just getting out there and doing it and are supported in doing it just makes it kind of seem, oh, okay, yeah, it's achievable. We should We should take comfort from that. Yes. Did anything surprise you? in the chats with people oh uh, that yitka thinks we're we'll take you the beavers <laughs> i feel yes. like we're chasing beaver tails but that was um, good. clearly you know our, our beaver <laughs> mitigation and management in her view is mm. coming in at the right moment and that's really nice to hear um but otherwise i think mm. my standout points were about the passion of the people involved yeah. and the similarity of the challenges across each of the countries you know yeah whatever the beaver population it's it's working it's out there and it's and there's always going to be a lot to learn. That's the other thing. We learn from each other. They all said, mm. you know, it's not that Britain has to learn from the States. We're constantly learning. Everything's going to be di- keep yeah. being different. Yeah. But it's exciting. still worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Now, listeners, it might sound like we're, we're wrapping up, uh, but in fact, we're not because we still have someone amazing left to speak to. And getting this busy beaver, I mean, this busy man, on the podcast is nothing less than a bit of a coup. Yes, can you tell listeners that Sophie's pretty excited to finish the series with this guest? What? (laughs) Um, Now, this man needs both no introduction... Except we're going uh, to give him one. uh, We're going to give him a massive introduction. um, Because, listeners, he is the man, he is the myth, he is the legend. He is Gerhard Schwab. Now, regarded by many as the beaver godfather of Europe... He has a lifetime of dedication to the reintroduction of beavers and the human-wildlife coexistence, and it's gained him major prominence across the whole of Europe. In 1988, Gerhard began what started as a four-year review of Bavarian beavers, but ever since then, he's been involved in reintroduction programmes across Europe. He has designed and implemented a beaver management system for Bavaria and a training system attended by over 700 local beaver consultants. And he's also co-authored three books about beavers and now gives famous tours across Bavaria to groups wanting to learn more about living with beavers. I really want to go on one. Oh, me too. <laughs> they really are. They really are like a bucket list item, totally. I think. Can I have some leave? Safe to say, Gerhard has garnered enormous respect across the whole reintroduction sector and it's genuinely such a pleasure to speak with him today. Yeah, it is. He also tends to bring a quite a light-hearted tone to the conversations and situations, such as turning up to the Beaver Conference um, in Exeter this year <laughs> with a little taxidermy kit. <laughs> oh, Eva, I is this? It. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, he's expect the unexpected. Right, well, shall we crack on and, and get him in? Let's do that safe to say there's always so much to learn and reflect on when you're in a conversation with Gerhard and we really can't wait to get stuck in. So Gerhard, a very warm welcome to the Lodgecast. Thank you. We speak to you from Bavaria in Beaver Country, which is very exciting. And um, as you may or may not know, we need to kick off our chat with a bit of a competition. I'm a bit nervous actually to try and pitch my um, excellent, well I think it's pretty excellent, Beaver Fact to Gerhard Schwab. 
because he probably has the best facts of them all. Um, <laughs> Eva, would you like to kick off with yeah, your fact first? Throw me under the bus. It's a really well-known one. It's about flooding um, and flood mitigation. But I found an actual fact about it, which which I found incredible. And this is it. So uh, some research was done in North America in a dam-free watercourse and in a dammed watercourse. And in a dam-free watercourse, it was calculated that the water took three to four hours to move through the site. And then in the equivalent watercourse where Beaver's Dam, it took 11 days for the same water to move through, Whoa. which is incredible. A massive difference. I thought that fact was slightly... Gives give the scale of the potential of yeah. slowing the flow. So that's, that's my a bit of a bit of a brain bender there for a Monday. Ooh. Mine is about plants for a change and how plants have evolved to adapt their chemistry to defend against regular beaver predation. So beavers, as we know, are plant feeders, fully vegan, and they like to have plants quite regularly. So to defend against Beaver predation, plants concentrate higher concentrations of toxic compounds in the parts of the plant that are easily reached by beavers, so like buds and twigs and things. And plants have even been observed to change their appearance so that they aren't as appealing to beavers to have a bit of a break. So this may explain why beavers are known to move to other territories, even when there's a, there appears to be a lot of foraging material. There may be some kind of concealed chemical weapon that the plants are, are sort of omitting to try and say give me a break beavers you've had enough and then they can come back later so that's my fact uh well i believe the first fact therefore been stu- oh he doesn't believe the second <laughs> there's been studies that the water flow is slowing down in the beaver bit of dam it's mm. known that for example willows if they're cut by beavers and they coppice that there are uh, some uh Stuff in the willows that make him taste the worse. So the beaver is not willing to take the very, very young twigs a year or two or three to grow bigger again and to store energy. But that the plant community as a whole is changing to being not tasting, to being poisoned, and the beaver moves to another territory sounds nice, but that's definitely not true. Okay, well... Well, there seems to be a clear winner here. <laughs> and can you fill the gap for us, Gerhard? What's your favourite fact about beavers? There are lots of facts. My favourite fact is they don't, sorry, nobody can bring it on the, on the radio, they don't give a shit about nobody. They don't <laughs> ask who owns the area, what are your opinion on how True. the area should look like. They go out and they change the area for the better of biodiversity. It's not thinking of the beaver. I do them good for the birds. I do them good for the dragonflies. I do them good for the frogs. He's just doing good for himself. All happens because the beaver wants to have a nice life. You paint a beautiful picture of the beaver wetland there. So Gerhard, you are one of the longest standing beaver practitioners in Europe. So you can bring a lot of insight into those of us who are further behind on our on our journey with beavers. And Back in April, when you were here for the beaver conference at Exeter University, you said that beavers will do in the long term what they do today and what they did for the last 15 million years. I just, I love that quote, but what did you mean by this and how might it kind of summarise the long-term experience of beaver management across Europe? Well, beaver will do their job on building dams in smaller creeks, creating habitat for other species, keeping the water back during dry season, keeping the water back during smaller floodings. Uh, no matter where they are in Spain, in England, in Bavaria or in Siberia, they do all the same job. 
but what a lot of people are afraid uh, that all the landscape will gonna be flooded, all the landscape will be all take trees taken off. What beavers use is only three, four, five percent of the landscape next to the creek, and the rest is still available for us humans. So it's a small portion of the landscape they use, but they do a lot for biodiversity and water retention. So it's worth to give them the little pieces of land they need. Mm. So it's an element of reassurance then in terms of, I guess, what you're, what you're trying to do is sort of reassure people that actually this is what they're, they're born to do, what they're meant to do. This is what they have done. We've, we've lived alongside it before, so we can do so again. <laughs> yeah, the big advantage is we have beavers here in Bavaria for more than 50 years. So you can go to areas where the beaver has been for 20, 30 years now, and the people can see what they do in the long run. You're not standing there, ah, here is the beaver and it's going to build a dam and it's be so wide and it's going to do this, do this. People don't have to believe it. But if they are in a territory, for example, we've been there in Treutlingen on uh, Friday, where the beaver have been living for 25 years. And you see, it's only a small stretch along the creek where they mm. have the dams, where they influence vegetation. The trees are cut down, they coppice, it's a shrub. It's not a huge, a huge part of the landscape. And that's something they see after they had the beaver for 30 years. So it's not a future telling that's going to happen. You come telling that happened the last 30 years. And there's no reason mm. why the beaver should do anything else the next 30 years. Mm. So I guess in terms, of, in terms of lessons learned then, looking us in England, looking to Europe and seeing that you've had beavers, you know, this is happening and these reassuring things are being seen after 30 years. It's almost like, well, we don't have to wait 30 years to have that reassurance. We can trust the fact that there's evidence-based, science-led um, observations in Bavaria, in other parts of Europe, in Scandinavia, showing successful coexistence thanks to management techniques that have been tried and tested and implemented. So actually, we should really take that seriously, I think, um, over here and not waste all that time trying to figure out ourselves when you've you've done that work for us, essentially. You don't have to think a lot about the future if you have the future already in other places. If, yeah. you, if you go to uh, Belarus or even on East Germany, it was never extinct at the Elbe River. If you look at the area, there still is the Elbe River. There still are fields. There still is forest. And that's been after permanent existence of people. So they've been here for 10 years, for 50 years, for 1,000 years, for 10,000 years. Since last ice age, the beaver have been living in the area. And you still have forest. Yeah, I love that. You don't have to look to the future because the future is in other places. That's really special. One of the very memorable moments I have from meeting you previously, Gerhard, is from our beaver conference earlier this year. And you did, gave an amazing, very passionate and powerful presentation, which everyone enjoyed. And at the end of it, you said something along the lines of, we don't have a beaver problem, we have a human problem. We would like you to help us learn some, some of the social lessons from Europe and discuss a little bit about how the social attitudes towards beavers differ with and without mitigation techniques. And, and have you seen them change over time? Well, it, it changed quite a bit when I started my first beaver project in 88. We had problems in uh, arable land, mainly building dams and feeding on crops. And of course, if the beaver feeds on crops, it's a huge damage, although it's only five euro. But if you don't have a solution, the people go uh, to the bar, they talk about it. He knows, ah, oh, that's been oh, that's been bigger, that's been bigger, that's been bigger. He took sugar beets, he took this, and all of a sudden, out of five sugar beets, you have three wagons full of sugar beets eaten by beaver. Uh, the same with stems. The 
people went out, they removed the dam. You could exactly say when it's week and when it's weekend. In the weekend, you had the dams because nobody was out there. During the week, when the farmers are driving out to their fields and they saw a dam, they removed it. And it changed quite a bit when the people saw that they all get offered solution and they can do something if there's right. really a problem. So if they knew, okay, they get the permit to remove the dam, uh, they got the possibility to enter a drainage pipe to lower the water level. In the long run, they even got the problem to remove beavers if there's only a problem and nothing happened and you just have a ditch and a gravel road and arable land. So there's no space for the people to build a dam and to flood an area. And that's one thing they thought they could do something. And the other thing is general information. As long as the people don't know a lot about beavers, it's horrible. Ah, the beaver eats my trouts. You can't get, if you get rid of the beaver, all my trouts are gone. If you tell the fisherman it's not eating trouts, but if the beaver cuts a tree and it's laying in the water, it's a place for the trouts or for the other fish to be under the tree. It's a protection against fish order and it's a protection against cormorants. And all of a sudden, the beaver is not a bad guy eating my trouts. It's a good guy protecting my trouts. You just have mm -hmm. to have the knowledge. And that's missing quite a bit. We had a hunter. He's also a beaver consultant. And a guy came to him and asked him, oh, he saw nine beavers sitting on the field eating his fruits, blah, 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 blah. And the hunter, he knows beavers are pretty good. He said, okay, let's go out. We're going to shoot the beavers. There are way too many. Then they went out. And all of a sudden, the nine beavers, well, there were 10 when he was out, they turned out to be koi poo. They don't know the beaver. The, it's just a big brown animal and that's a beaver. And they just mm. don't make a distinction. And that's what helped quite a bit the last uh, decades to change the attitude of most of the people to see the, everything more relaxed. So we have a beaver. He's cutting trees, but he's not destroying the forest. He's eating corn. He's eating sugar beets, but not 5,000 euro, maybe 20, 30, 40 euro. He's building a dam and as long as the dam is not doing nothing but raising the water level, it's fine. If it's getting too high, you can call the local authorities, you can have a people consultant, and you get the permit to re remove or lower the dam. And in some areas, we even we had a group from people from England here last week. We were looking at people management, the different medication methods, talking to different people. And in one area next to my uh, place where I'm living, the dams are not removed anymore. Because in 2018, when it was very, very dry, the farmers who had removed the beaver dams had nothing. And mm -hmm. the farmers who didn't have the time or were not willing or whatsoever, but the beaver dams stayed in the creek. There was water for the sugar beets and for the maize. And now they say, okay, the beaver dam is a problem. It's too high. But as long as the height of the beaver dam allows me to use the area and keeps water back in case it's not raining, it's great. It's just a process of learning. And you can, in England, not... Start with the problems and the discussion, and ten years later you have a solution. You just look at other countries. And so, what? So it's moved from a, a mindset of sort of pest to potentially quite helpful um, ecosystem engineer. And has that been because of conversations and education around it, or because there are so many and people have started to see the difference for themselves? It's it's both. It's education. If we do presentations, and the other thing is, of course, the people see that the big catastrophe is not coming. They see the beaver, they're afraid, he's building dams, his flooding areas, he's eating, he's causing huge damage. And after 10 years, if they take a walk on Sunday, they see the beaver, but it's not in all of the areas, just using a narrow stretch along the creek. So the people have learned about it. You mentioned a couple of times you equated 
say, an area of localised flooding to a quantity, so 5 euros, 30 to 40 euros, do you think that in order for humans to change their minds, that we have to kind of quantify it in terms of money and damage? Do you think that's the only way that some people will listen, is if they know how much it's going to cost them? In terms of if you're trying to get people to change their attitudes, is it simply a case of it will cost you this this much to be crude? Uh, no, it's not so simple. The major problem is the damage is only with one person, and the majority likes a beer. It's the complete opposite of what you have normally. If you have a can of oil and spill it somewhere in the landscape, you're a single one causing the damage, and the public has to pay for the damage to clean the water again and to clean the area. With beaver, one has the damage and the public is happy. So if the beaver has started an area, everybody will pop up. Not everybody, but most people, they pass by. Oh, it's great. There are birds. There are what's there. The guy who owns the area, he doesn't like it. And calculate with money. The money you use, you spend to solve beaver problems is not too much. You've got other species. So the most expensive measures against beavers or against beaver problems is protecting dams and dikes. That's costing millions and millions and millions. But it's not only against beaver. It's against koipu, it's against muskrats, it's against rabbits, it's against badger, it's against foxes. So what you need if you have a dike, that's a dike that's safe and there shouldn't be any burrows in the dike. So if you, if you wouldn't have a single beaver in Bavaria, you would spend exactly the same amount of money. Because if you got a badger hole in the dike and it's washed out during flooding and the dike breaks, you're going to have a flooded village. And the water doesn't ask whether it was a badger hole or a beaver hole or a koi pole or whatsoever. There should be no hole at all in the dike. And that we have to explain to the people. You have to spend money for the beaver, especially for the beaver. But if you buy an area because the beaver flooded the area and you give the farmer the money for the area, he makes his income from something else, but he got the money for the area. You have to buy the area. But if you go out and have a landscape architect planning a flooded area, that costs 10, 20, 30 times the amount. And that will always say, okay, if you have to do something as set aside, as compensation for building, as compensation for whatsoever, buy the area and let Mother Nature do the job. Every pound and penny you spend for somebody planning for somebody having a digger and dickering around and breeding here a little bit, for somebody planting trees. If you plant a tree, it's two, three hundred euro per tree. And let him grow. It's going to take five years and has the same size. It's not exactly where you put it, but you got it. So if you buy the area and do nothing, look at it 10 years, it's more nature than somebody has been planning it. And the other bigger thought is, well, they always on all meetings where somebody presents a plan on Ah, that's going to be more naturalized. That's going to be that's me. And then it comes after 10 years, you have to check it again. You have to cut back the trees. You have to model. That's not nature. That's Walt Disney. In the nature area, you don't have to cut trees back. They grow. And if they're old, they fall down. And if they're young, they might be eaten by a deer. Hmm. And no matter how old they are, if the beer is hungry, it takes it. And if the tree is gone, you get more sunlight, you get another tree growing. That's nature. It's not going out, spending a lot of money and taking care of nature. You don't have to take care of nature. It takes care of itself. And that's what you have to tell the people. So the beaver for me is now less uh, 
if you talk to people, less a species, where you talk a lot about the species, you talk about what the people does, what advantage it is, and how much it would cost if we do it. So you spend millions and millions of euro in nature conservation for things they would say, why do you plant here 20 trees? Doesn't make any sense. So there's loads of food for thought there, Gerhard, really interesting points. And I think the thing I'd like to pick up on, and I've been really looking forward to asking you this, is the giving um, the fact that Mother Nature knows what to do and perhaps needs to be let alone to do that. And one of the things that we are talking about here for Britain is um, exploring river buffers and sort of incentives for giving beavers space to operate as well as water space to naturally function. And one of the things that a lot of people point to is the case study in Bavaria, where then and it's the the, fa- the figures seem to change slightly every time, but very roughly, if you move back from the river ten or twenty meters, you get a ninety percent, ninety five percent reduction of conflict with beavers. I'd really love you to explain what you have seen and the facts behind that, and and how it's been approached there. Uh, while this figure is coming from a long, long time ago, when they did my first study. Uh, we measured all the signs of beaver and how far away they are from water. And this number of signs are, is within the water, of course. So if you take burrows, if you have a edible land next to the creek, the beaver digs a burrow, you might fall in with a machine, there might be a damage of a couple of thousand euros. If you stay away, there is a beaver burrow, but it's not a problem anymore, just not driving over it. So if you have a 10-meter strip, it's 95, within 20 meters, 98%. That does not matter. Ah, but I saw a burrow that went out 23 meters. Ah, the beaver went out and been cutting a tree 50 meters away. Of course, it's 95 and 98%. And some beavers, they do a little bit other things. They go further out. It also depends on the landscape. If it's a flat from a bog area and a beaver with a dam, 20 meters are not enough. If the water got one, uh, one per mil of water runoff, you got a dam one meter high. In 900 meters, you still the effects of the dam. But in a normal landscape, a little bit hilly, if you go up the hill, there's no more impact of beavers. There might be, or for example, uh, feeding on crops. Of course, if you have a 20-meter strip along the creek, which is nature, the beaver goes out and will take the sugar beet because it's, that's why the, we use the sugar beet. It, it's high energy. The beaver goes out, gets the sugar beet, and that's enough for the whole day. The rest is laying around doing nothing. So why should the beaver go out, take grass next to the river, and he spends two or three hours, so you get a sugar beet, take it, bring it to the water, eat it, and you got enough for the day. It's like with us, if you got dry bread and a steak, I'm going to go for the steak, even if you walk a little bit further. But if the beaver takes sugar beets and you have a damage of 20, 30 euro, so what? The big damage is flooding and... Burrows, we don't have any more because this happens now on the area along the creeks where there's no other use. That's a problem. The beaver and man, they use the same area and they've got different ideas how to use it. So it's not working. Hmm. If you have hmm. the strip for the beaver here and a huge strip for arable land, both can use their areas how they want to use it without interfering with the other. It does seem rather simple and that's what's so appealing, I think, um, as far as I can see. So very roughly, that those statistics are correct. You know, the vast majority of conflicts will minimise. Yeah, and the other thing is we got a water framework directive, where you have mm-hmm. to make more natural rivers. So it's not 
the beaver doesn't care. He is either living in the river when you have the sugar beets next to the river. So you can take the sugar beet that has a tail still in the water. That's fine for the beaver. He doesn't have to walk to get a sugar beet. coming out and taking it. For the beaver, it's great. But it's for us to have more space along the rivers. Beaver, beaver lives in both areas. Ah, we got a beaver. We got prime nature out there. We got nothing. The beaver is living in a sewage plant. Sewage plant is even water stand. It's a, uh, it, it's a pond. You don't have to build a dam. The water is a little bit warmer. It's flowing through. You got trees around the sewage plant. Even if you are in the middle of arable land, if there's a sewage plant, it's planted with trees. That's winter food. But if I would be a beaver, I would live in the sewage plant, but not in the concrete part, but in the uh, ponds further on. Instead of being in a small creek where you have to build a dam, you have to do this, you have to do this. It's much easier. But it's for us. And if you want to have more natural rivers, a natural river needs room to meander to the right and to the left. Briefly, Gerhard, who pays for the river buffer zones in your country, in Bavaria? It's either the state, if it's bigger rivers, and on smaller creeks, it's the community. Okay. Or you might have private people. And, well, as community, you have to have set-asides. If you have a housing development, building development, if a large company builds a factory, they have to have compensation areas, and then they can buy these areas, which I always recommend, buy land along the creek, and let beaver and mother nature do the job. So it's better spending 250000 100 for the area, 150000 for planning and diggering around. Take 200000 you save 50000 and for 200000 you get twice the area. We got more, more area, and you save money. And I think in the new language, it's called win-win. I feel like there's um, a sense of empowerment to be gained within the community with active beaver habitat nearby. Do you find that the most effective, or in your experience, I know you do a lot of these legendary beaver walks and public engagement things, which are obviously invaluable. Do you find that it's the whole seeing is believing thing? You know, once people see beavers and what they can what they can do and how they can help and how we can live alongside them, do you find that is the turning point? For most of the people, yes. If you don't know anything about beavers, one say they're nest, the animals destroying everything. The other, oh, it's almost God coming. They don't know what to think. If they see themselves what the beaver does, they believe. There are some who are against beavers and they will never believe. It's the same as with everything. What pro-beavers, what against beavers. Okay. You might have, depending whether in the city where there are more pro-beaver or on in villages where there are farmers, you might have... 10, 15, 20% pro. You might have 10, 15% against because they're the landowners. And the big majority doesn't know, doesn't care, doesn't nothing. So what we try is to get more of the pro side and of the uninformed side. She should at least know what the beaver does. So it's not the animal flooding the area, it's not the animal cutting the forest. It's cutting trees, but the forest is more than a few trees. In a natural forest, there's no damage. In uh, Germany, a forest that's man-used, man-planned. There are the trees where you make money from. And if the beaver cuts a spruce this size, it's a damage. If it's, As soon as man starts to plan and use it, then it's trees which are valuable. The other trees, you can leave it to the beaver and the other species. If the stem stays, 
And that's very interesting. In the national park, we got a couple of new species every year that haven't been there for a long, long time. Don't do too much. Get the area, open the beer, and water. Or a wine or a Coke, whatever you like to drink. It's going to yeah. come. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe only in five years. Maybe it's going to look different than you thought it should look. But that's what nature can do, and it will do. It might not be the nature we had 5,000 years ago because we have, for example, influence from the air. We get enough nitrogen fertilizer for traffic from the cars going on the area, even if it's nature area. So it's not the same air, not the same conditions you had 1,000, 2,000 years ago, but it's as natural as possible just by doing nothing and, okay, you're watching, you're looking, you're doing a little bit of research, but you're not interfering and trying to help. Nature doesn't, but sometimes nature needs help. If it's a concrete creek, you have to remove the concrete and let it meander, but the rest, nature will do by itself. Leave it to the beaver, <laughs> as you say. Gerhard, this is a series is all about beaver mitigation and management. Can you tell us, well, lighten the tone a moment and um, tell us about your favourite moment in your career? Have you had a really rewarding moment in mitigation and management of beavers or just something that really you'll never forget. I'm sure you've had loads, but give us one highlight. Well, we had one where we had lots of problems with the beaver dam. Everybody was complaining and, ah, beaver dra drainage pipe doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. Everyone was against. And we just did it. And all of a sudden it was quiet. And when I was walking out there, you saw a farmer family. The boss was not there, but his wife and two children, they were sitting at the beaver pond and watching beavers. Oh, it's Amazing. single people, but it changes. Yeah, there's nothing better. And um, as we sort of draw to a close, Gerhard, what do you think beavers need from us, if anything? What do they need us to do, perhaps, for them, such that we can look forward to those more of those moments where we can sit with a beer or a Coke and uh, <laughs> watch the beavers? Give them the space to do what they have to do to survive, to build a dam, to cut trees. Just go back a little bit. And as I mentioned, it's maybe 3% of total landscape. And we can afford it. About a third of arable production in Germany is thrown away. That's garbage. So a third of the area will pay subsidies for to produce corn, to produce whatsoever. You get subsidies, you produce grass, you feed your cow, you produce milk, you make yogurt. And then the yogurt, oh, it was due yesterday, it's thrown away. Ah, it's convenience food. You put it in the microwave in three minutes, it's done. And the potato can only be so big and the rest is cut off. As long as we throw away a third, it shouldn't be a problem to give 3% of the landscape to the beaver without anybody starving for a single second. <laughs> and that's all you have mm. to do. The rest, the rest the beaver does himself. Give him the space and he's do the job. And if you are in, of course, you, you cannot give the space if you've got a road, if you've got a creek nearby, but then you have measurements we can do to keep a beaver burrow from the area to prevent the beaver building a dam in the wrong place. But where there is place and he can do what he wants to do, let him do the job. <laughs> Gerhard, is there anything else that you would, any top tips that you would give England as we navigate this, this time with reintroductions and the environmental and biodiversity crisis. Our biodiversity crisis goes way, way, way 
<laughs> yeah, maybe not that one, but maybe more specifically with beavers. I would be hundred thousand recommendations, which are exactly the same. I would have here, though I don't think there's any difference between uh, England, Scotland, Wales, and uh, Bavaria. If you look at the real big problems, it's mm. just we have a too intensive land use. Just give area back to the nature. Not only beavers are creek, but also in other areas and relax a little bit more. Relax. As if yeah. you do, and if you have beavers, just inform the people. Let them see the areas where you have beavers. If you look at River Otter, there are lots of tourists in River Otters watching beavers coming and seeing, okay, it's River Otter. It's, it's great. You can walk it. It's a great area with beavers. And make beaver friends. We have, we have democracy. If the majority is for beaver, it's going to be beaver. And if you show the people what the beaver does and say, okay, that's great. Uh, it might be have might might be more sense to have a little bit of nature at the creek instead of having <laughs> the fukupits next to the creek. Mm. That's it. And in the long run, if I look at the last, I've started '88 management in '96, so that's now 30, 35 years. Beavers, it changed quite a bit in the areas where we had lots and lots of problems 30 years ago. It's quiet now. The beaver is a very normal species. We've been in the community of Pöring where we had where they got more than 40 kilometers of river stretch. They got the Danube, they got Oxbows, they got small creeks, they got drainage ditches. And when we started there in 96, 97, it was a huge beaver problem. And they trapped lots of beavers. And now it's three, four, five beavers. If it's in the village, if it's in the fish pond, it's taken out again. And for the rest, is nothing. And they got a, a city, well, it's not a city hall, it's an old barn. They use it now for festivals, for birthdays, for weddings, for holidays, whatever you want to have. And there's a big picture painted of the village. And now the guy has painted a beaver at the bottom as a new inhabitant of the village, as a very normal species. He's living here, he's doing his stuff, the people are doing their stuff. And if the problems are getting too big, you do something. And if it's a small problem, most of the people say, yeah, so what? If it's getting bigger, I know whom to call. And as long as it's only this and this and this, so what? So if the children come and eat the, the cherries from an apple tree, it's probably the same as the people takes the full sugar beets. That's a beautiful vision to aim for, though, that the people welcome it and they know that if something gets too big, you can deal with it. And something to aim for in, in Britain, I think. Thank you so much for talking us today, to us today, Gerhardt. It's been really great to have your expertise on the show. Um, and I'm sure our listeners will have learned a lot yes, as well. thank you. You're welcome. Oh, it's always good to chat to Gerhard. I always feel much better for it. Yes, always a pleasure. He brings a lot of humour and expertise to the conversation. Mm. So, yeah, great. What was your takeaway? Yeah, yeah go on, sorry. I, uh, it's, we need to relax about this. I think that's very mm. sensible. We also do need to be prepared, but, you know, we need to relax about it. Let people see the beavers. That was my favourite mm -hmm. quote. Yeah, totally. I think I definitely took away the, uh, the relax advice. I think that extends across the board, not just in conservation and reintroductions, but also in life. I think there's a tendency to feel quite sort of tense about stuff all the time. And actually his whole very wise and comes from decades of experience of just relax a little bit and let nature do the talking. Yeah. But then intervene as and when with tried and tested management techniques. It's, it's exciting. I always feel excited after speaking to him because I think it, he, he paints a picture of actual achievable hope yeah which he's not bogged in the new, the detail 
He's yeah. just making it happen. So stepping back and looking holistically and mm. things like if a third of our food is wasted, we can clearly afford to give beavers a little bit yes. more space on farmland. Obviously, that's a big generalization, but you know, it's mm. that, that's what I like about Gerhard, his vision. Right. It is quiz time though, Sophie. It is, yes. I'm I can't wait. Are you <laughs> You sound like no, you can't I am wait. excited. It's gonna be good. It's gonna I be can't. good. And it's very topical today, yep. um, this week. So oh. here we go. Diving straight into the state of nature report. Whoosh. Here we go. <laughs> um, <sighs> released in September twenty twenty three. The state of nature in Britain. Fresh. Reporting on the continued decline of many species, essentially. Important, but quite sad reading. So, question number one. In Great Britain, mm. what percentage mm-hmm. of species are now at risk of extinction? Oh, well, I know it's now one in six, and the previous State of Nature report was one in seven. So that's not great. But I, Would you I, like I, some multiple can't... choice answers? Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, sorry. I was just raring to go. Right, go I on then. got to read them, mainly. But, so, okay. A... Is it 10% yeah. of all our species? Is it 23% B or is it C, 16%? Uh, I'm going to go uh, 16. Correcting. Oh, thank God. Yes, well done. That wasn't a guess. I knew that, yeah. But pretty devastating. So 16% oh, yeah, of all good. species at risk of extinction. Mm. How have we let it get this bad? That's the question. And listeners... This is relevant because beavers restore biodiversity and abundance of species in freshwater Mm -hmm. contexts. So that's my link to this. Nice. Just thought I'd explicitly state state that. Right. Nicely done, Sophie. So question two is about Mm -hmm. biodiversity intactness index, which is the BII for short. This estimates the proportion of species and abundance still intact despite human influence. They've really, really clung on. And it's highly relevant for beavers. So amongst the G7 countries, I can remind you which those are if you need, which country has the lowest BII, Biodiversity Intactness Index, at just 42%? Is it A, the UK? Is it B, the US? Or is it C, Germany? I have a a sad feeling it's the UK. It is indeed the UK, Mm. the lowest biodiversity intactness. Mm. Dear, oh dear, Shame on dear. us. Time to bring back the beavers. <clears throat> Bonus mm-hmm. point, because you gave me one the other day. Which country of the G7 can boast a biodiversity intactness index above the suggested planetary boundary threshold? There's only one of those seven countries that has enough biodiversity intact against Gosh. the planetary what threshold. What are we doing? I know. Do you know which one it is? Oh, uh, are you not going to hit me with some choices? The G7 are US, Canada, Japan, Germany, Italy, France, and UK. Oh, I've just instantly forgotten all of them. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go uh, for uh, Italy. No, France. Oh, I saw your face. Is it Italy? It's Canada. <laughs> it's Italy. But you oh. keep touring around Europe. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so canada as you can sort of imagine oh yeah um yeah that's true why didn't i remember it I is something to boast more, so. but it is pretty yeah. appalling that the rest of them are all below mm. the planetary boundary threshold right question mm. number three okay, what percentage right. of land and freshwater areas are protected for nature in the uk is it seven percent 
11% or 19%. Protected in a legal sense, you mean? Ooh, I'm going to go for the lowest percentage, 7 It's in fact B, 11%. Still okay, only digits, a, yeah, still only mm. a tenth of our mm. land area protected for nature. Question, should more. we be expanding that? Um, yes. Yes, well done. Good, good. Uh, what, really? Yeah, I think mm. so. So I think oh. that's two out of four questions, right? Pretty good. Uh, State of Nature report. Uh, yeah. On a gloomy subject. Well played. Um, <laughs> now, shall we toss up our final tallies for the series and welcome in producer Emma? Out your box. Come on. Come on. How, how has this become Open my brand that I like, live in a beaver is. box for a whole series? <laughs> it's not just box. It's a fully, fully vetted licensed Bavarian oh, of course. trap. Of course. Of course. Complete with carrots and apples. I, I'm very comfortable yeah. inside, yes. Um, listen, <laughs> right, I, I, you had me panicking there slightly because I thought, oh gosh, this might actually be a tie break and I was having to frantically try and Google a tiebreaker question. So, Sophie, thanks for getting that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. I just want to commend you, though, on the diversity of quizzes that we've had this series. The weird and wonderful <laughs> nature of the Cluedo, particularly, like the who done it, who killed the beaver. Love oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yep. So although mm-hmm. perhaps, Sophie, you win in the creativity of quiz creation, uh, either I'm afraid... Oh, gosh. Say that again. <laughs> either I'm afraid wins. <laughs> Eva got five points overall. you are afraid? Oh, I was apologising to Sophie. <laughs> yeah. She's afraid. Well done, There's Eva. bias in our camp. Eva, yeah. well, I think I think it's because, Eva, you have a tradition of winning the quizzes. So I think yeah, I was... So ma- maybe I was that, championing the underdog there, but you, you've smashed it, even with the bonus mm, points as well. You British got five. Oh. But well done all round. Oh, congrats. Thanks. Oh, let's all be nice to each other. I tell you what, uh, listeners, we need some more ideas for quiz themes. Please, please share them gosh. across social media. What would you like to be quizzed no, just on? Give them to me. <laughs> okay, well, let's. Uh, I'm quite happy to forget about the quiz now, but um, there's one more. There's one more winner for the taking, isn't there, Emma? There's a uh, the old factor. There is now. Oh, yes. I mean, at the time of recording, we do still have one person to speak to. However, I can declare a fact off winner because no matter which way the next fact off goes, oh, no. they've done that badly. <laughs> this person can't quite redeem. Oh, no, not so close. Um, Eva, you win again. Oh, trophy time! Well done. Some superb win facts from this my series. Sales. I just capsize in the water. <laughs> Sophie, I think you're going to need to do a bit more prep before the next Sophie one. Turning turtle. Yeah. They're all such good facts, aren't they? I mean, it's hard to decide. I think I've been very lucky. I was, very lucky. I was really organised of mine as well. I made them weeks ago. Well, I didn't make them. Sorry, I got them from scientifically well, reputable uh, mm, sources. Although the legitimacy of one of them was, was, uh, was called into question <laughs> earlier today. Excellent. Oh. Well, that's um, well, great. I will take that all on board. Listeners, if you have any facts that you'd like to give me, please let me know. I'm clutching at straws. All the straws are gone, actually. There's no <laughs> straws to clutch onto anymore. To be fair, Series 5, I think we're doing pretty well to come up with so many facts. Yeah, we've got to make them up now. Emma, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Speaking of Series 6 of The Lodge Class and the future, Eva, what have we got coming up in Beaver Trust over the next few weeks? So much, so much to keep an eye on. So we've got um, The Big Give, which is a charity fundraiser coming up in December. So if you want to Mm -hmm. help support Beaver's uh, return to Britain, do check that out. Keep an eye on our socials and follow us at Beaver Trust. 
Mm-hmm. And we've got an exciting film project in the works. Um, mm-hmm. Can't give you much more detail on that right now. But again, keep an eye on Beaver Trust social network and uh, join our newsletter and you will hear first about that. Yes, we're very excited that the next series, series six of the Lodgecast, is going to be talking all things beavers and climate. So what a way to kick off 2024 with that. So that's it for this episode. And in fact, for the series of the Lodgecast. Yes, thank you so much for joining. Uh, but we'll be back again next year. And in the meantime, if you've missed any of our episodes, don't know how you may have managed that. But if you have, don't forget that we have got a podcast back catalogue bursting at the seams with incredible guests, including Simon Reeve, Dr. Amir Khan, Sarah Langford and Gillian Burr. And if you also fancy a little bit more of Gerhard, and let's be honest, who doesn't? He was a key contributor in our documentary Beavers Without Borders, which you can find on our YouTube channel. Definitely worth a watch if you have 20 minutes spare. And in fact, please make sure again that you have subscribed to The Lodgecast on your podcast platform of choice so that you don't miss a beat and make sure that you leave us, please, a five-star review. And for more from us at Beaver Trust, don't forget that you can find us in all the usual places on Instagram and Twitter at Beaver Trust or head over to our website, beavertrust.org and sign up for our free email newsletter. Bye for now. This podcast, as always, is a mixture of fact and opinion. It was hosted by Sophie Pavel and Eva Bishop. It was produced and edited by Emma Brisdian for Beaver Trust. Beaver Trust.